the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. No modern day Republican in the history of this country in a contested non-incumbent race, meaning that all the people running are not currently incumbents for the presidency, has ever won Iowa and New Hampshire back-to-back. And Donald Trump did both above 50%, despite the fact that two governors, uh, Republican governors who had big, successful machines in those states were lobbying against them, Kim Reynolds in Iowa, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, and Trump came out victorious. First in Iowa with a large field, then in New Hampshire with a one-on-one race with Nikki Haley. Ultimately, the president won with about 12 points, uh, about where we were projecting yesterday he would end up. There is some history to this. This hasn't been done before, right? I think that's important. I also think there is a little bit of a mirage. Nikki Haley, uh, some people were hyperventilating last night, Nikki Haley's people among them. Oh, my gosh, she, she outperformed. She did really great. Watch out. This is momentum. She's got into Donald Trump's lead. Not so much. Why do I say that? What really happened in New Hampshire is because Joe Biden stepped off the ballot, didn't want to be part of New Hampshire, wanted South Carolina to be the first primary, wouldn't participate in it. It allowed and gave license to independents who might otherwise vote in the Democratic primary to cross over and vote in the Republican primary. And those unaffiliated independent voters broke Nikki Haley's way in a big way. And they were a much larger turnout in the Republican race than we've seen before. In fact, 6% of the people in New Hampshire's race yesterday said they were Democrats. That's pretty important, right? Really, really important. So the lead with probably without that sort of Democrat independent, I've got nothing to do because Joe Biden's not running mindset, probably made the race look closer than it really was. 75%, three quarters of Republican voters in the Republican primary preferred Donald Trump over Nikki Haley. What does that mean? It means there are, there are states coming up where a crossover is not possible, where Joe Biden's going to need the vote to secure the, the nomination. And Nikki Haley can't count on that. And you look at the gap when those voters are taken out and Donald Trump has a commanding lead, including in her home state of South Carolina. So by the time we get to South Carolina on February 8th, I believe it is, Donald Trump will have won Iowa. Check. New Hampshire, check. And the Nevada caucus, which is still two weeks off, but he's going to win it because Nikki Haley chose not to compete there. He'll be 3-0, and and he's up 30.2% in the average polling and as high as 33% in some polls in Nikki Haley's own home state. And I think that that confirms what Scott Rasmussen told us a week or two ago. This race is over. Put a fork in it. Donald Trump will be the nominee. Today, we're going to dig into that question a little bit more. The real question now is not what's going to happen at the end of primary, because it's pretty clear that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. The real question now is what early data points are we getting from voters about 
where their head is, what the issues are, and where, what they think about Donald Trump on round three of Trump running for the presidency. I thought I'd bring in one of the most talented political strategists and pollsters I know. He gets it right, and he sees things that a lot of other people don't see in the data. Joining me right now, Scott Rasmussen. Scott, great to have you on the show. Great to be back, John. And, and uh, you know, we did say last week after Iowa, the signs were that the race is over and, and uh, New Hampshire just confirmed it. Um, you know, when you ask about what this uh, says for the, the general election, um, one of the things that really irritates me about the political world is they want to overanalyze things that aren't worthy of it. Uh, you know, it's like every time there's a special election, they try to read way too much into it. Yeah, this will happen in November based on what happened today. You're right. Never happens that way. <laughs> and, and and the other thing is uh, Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, it's, it's wrapped up in legend. Uh, but the truth is, um, especially in New Hampshire, uh, Every every time is different. Um, if there had been a competitive Democratic primary, if President Biden was running, uh, Donald Trump would have won by more because some of the you know, about 40 plus percent of the uh, New Hampshire electorate are independent. But most independents lean one way or the other. And if there was a Democratic primary, a lot of the Democratic leaning independents would have gone and voted in that. Um, and so. You really can't compare this. And and let's be blunt. We haven't had a former president running in this way ever, uh, you know, in the modern history. So so I don't think there really were a lot of detailed lessons. Uh, I think what we've seen in both cases, Donald Trump has enthusiasm from the base. Um, he's it, the independents. Eh, they weren't as strong on him. Uh, but. The guy he's running against also isn't doing very well with independence. So we're back to what we've known for a long time. We have two candidates who are running for president, uh, a race that most people didn't want to see as a rematch. Uh, both of them have some unpopularity. Both of them have some some negatives. Um, and that probably means it's going to be a close election. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yeah. Imagine that after the last uh, couple, <laughs> we're going to do it again. Um, That's right. Yeah. So uh, there were a couple things that uh, struck me last night in the exit polls. And again, you never know 100 percent of the exit polls are accurate. Uh, but it looked like uh, women split evenly for Trump and Haley in a two person race. I think some people were thinking maybe women would outperform for Haley over Trump. Anything to read from that? Or is it just an anomaly of New Hampshire? Um, you know, it probably has more to do with the fact that most of the women voting uh, were Republican women. 
Um, and so the bat, you know, this isn't a, a, a total random sample of New Hampshire voters. Uh, one of the other things that we miss when we start talking about groups like, you know, uh, women or Hispanics, these groups are not monolithic. It is true that on balance, women are more likely to vote for a Democrat than a Republican. Uh, but that's the difference is only on the margins. And the difference is especially pronounced among single women, uh, not older married women in, in the type who would show up for a primary election in New Hampshire. Um, but a lot of times we you know we make these statements, these bold statements. Well, this is a rural state and this is going to happen here. Um, everything in politics and especially in this election cycle is going to depend not on who wins the rural areas or who wins the urban areas, because we know that. It's going to be the margins they pile up on both. Um, you know, in Michigan, are are the Muslim communities going to just stay home rather than because they're unhappy with President Biden on uh, the Middle East? And, uh, you know, is the turnout in the suburbs going to be matched by turnout in inner cities? Uh, and these are things we can't possibly answer today, and we don't have real good hints. Yeah. I think if there was one trend in the first two elections that was surprising to me, it's that the border is higher in the voters' concern uh, base than the economy. I would have guessed they were pretty even, but 10-point difference last night, at least in the Fox poll and in the CNN poll. Second straight uh, state, two very different regions, middle Midwest, Northeast, both very far from the southern border. Uh, that may be a trend line that says something about where where we're headed into the fall, no? Oh, absolutely. Uh, not just from those two results, but from everything we're seeing in the polling data. Um, you know, people are connecting uh, the border crisis with the fentanyl crisis. They are seeing weaknesses in national security from that connects the border problem to what's happening in the Middle East or Ukraine. You know, there's some general fears that are going on. Uh, when you have phenomena like um, a, you know, black Democrats suing their city over the migrant crisis, that's something you, that tells you this is a huge issue. And and I think one of the one of the reasons it's a big issue is uh, the political elites don't see it as a big issue, and many Democrats um, want to propose a solution that would, would not please most voters. Uh, and so all of a sudden you've got this situation that the Democratic Party is having a hard time grappling with. Uh, nothing is being done, and it's it's moving up as a decisive issue. Uh, when you talk about the economy, it's always like a number one or two issue, almost always number Number one, but the things they say are bothering them aren't as clear cut as as they are on border security. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, it's really becoming clear now. And you've been saying this for several months. I think we had you on back before Christmas, and you had the same trend line. And it's really beginning to bear itself out as people go to the polls. It's kind of kind of fascinating. Uh, you do some of the most innovative in impactful polling of anyone. You ask questions that others never dare ask or don't think of asking. You had one of my favorite today. Uh, I always follow you on Twitter. And folks, if you aren't following Scott on Twitter, you're making a big mistake. Scott W. Rasmussen on, at, at Scott W. Rasmussen on Twitter, or I guess we call it X now. Uh, X, but yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't trained myself yet. I still call it Twitter. <laughs> I can't help myself. Do you tweet on X? I don't know. I, these are, these are, we have to poll on that maybe. Yeah. Um, this one was very important because I do think 
we are in a moment for the first time, uh, perhaps in a, in a half century or more, where parents aren't that convinced anymore that a college education is worth the five-time mortgage that they're going to pay for it. Uh, you had some really interesting data about what people think the primary purpose of high school education is and what they think it should be. The gap was shocking to me. Could you just uh, walk us through this, uh, this data you did? I think it's brilliant. Well, you know, we've done an awful lot of work on this issue and in this area. Uh, as everybody knows, since Glenn Youngkin became uh, governor, the notion that most voters think parents need a bigger say in their children's education is is uh, one thing. But we've begun to ask about, okay, what should a high school education be? 77% believe it's more important for a high school education to prepare students for careers than for college. Uh, pretty big gap. We've done other survey research that fits into this where voters say it is much more important to uh, create good jobs for people without a degree uh, than it is to make sure everybody can go to college. And one of the things, I, I think this is something that we're starting to see in the, you know, the, the gap, the working class gap. People who are um, in the educated elite have a much higher opinion of the need to get everybody into college than most voters do. Voters are telling us that by the time you should graduate from high school, you should be able to, you know, read, write, and arithmetic. You should be able to have the social skills needed to work and function as an adult. And if high schools aren't doing that, well, then parents should have the ability to find a school that will help them get there. Uh, Mike Rowe, I think a decade ago, started to highlight that this uh, sentiment was building in America. And I think you, you've captured it better than anyone, the difference between the numbers of what people think is going on in high school and what it should be is is pretty darn, pretty darn enlightening. You got another one. And I like this one because I've been spending a lot of time talking to U.S. intelligence and law enforcement that are fighting counterintelligence war, particularly with China, but it's not limited to China, Qatar and some other countries. Uh, and they use a term called elite capture. And really what it is, is uh, foreign powers trying to take elite people in America and uh, woo them until they become their sort of secret, unwitting lobbyist to influence U.S. government on behalf of a foreign power. But uh, elitism in general is becoming a bigger issue. You rolled out, I think, uh, and this is, uh, I think, groundbreaking in what you're doing. You are doing polling on the 1% of elites. And I want you to describe what that population is and looks like. How do you measure it? And then what have you found so, so far in this elite world of America? And, and let's start by being clear about what it's not. It's not these are not the wealthiest one percent in America. This is a, a, the influential one percent. Uh, they are people who have a postgraduate degree. What in all of our research, uh, the people with a postgraduate degree are have different views than people with a bachelor's degree or anybody else. Uh, people who live in a densely populated urban area, 10,000 people per square mile or more. This is not Des Moines. Uh, you know, this is the power centers, places like Manhattan and parts of D.C. Um, and it's people who make more than $150,000 a year. Uh, they, people who are in this world are very influential. They are the leaders of the uh, federal government. Uh, they are the leaders on, on corporate boards and in all sorts of dynamics. And to say their views are out of touch with most Americans is a gross understatement. Uh, half of this group believes that there is too much individual freedom in America today. 
um, and and a subset, the group the group among this elite that talks politics every day. 69% say there's too much individual freedom. So the people who are engaged in this elite world think the problem is that people like you and I, John, have too much freedom. Um, I guess they don't like what we say sometimes. Isn't that amazing? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And on forum, by the way, just on, on foreign policy, um, very few Americans think that China is anything but an enemy. But that's not true in the elite world. Um uh, among those elites who talk politics every day, about half of them see China as an ally. Getting right to your point about, you know, these these people who are in effect lobbying for them. They've been captured. It's fascinating. And again, I applaud you. These are some of the most innovative polls I've seen done. And, and they're so relevant to the discussion that we're having in this election. And quite frankly, in the discussion of what sort of Washington we're going to create in the future, because this election really is about big government or shrunken government. And it's going to be interesting to see which one prevails. I want to turn to uh, a guy who's not a pollster, but I think sometimes has a good sense of maybe the trend lines in America. Jamie Dimon knows how to make money, of course. Uh, <clears throat> but he also sometimes is able to capture the uh, aha moment that maybe so many people in the country are ignoring. Um, he has been warning that uh, the biggest mistake Democrats are making is insulting all the MAGA voters who actually support Donald Trump, suggesting they're stupid or an unpatriotic or trying to kill democracy. His warning was very stark. Now, I think he comes from a position of, I want to win the election. I'm a Democrat. But there is something larger here that the more the elites attack MAGA nation, the more MAGA nation doubles down on the agenda. Uh, the Democrats are actually strengthening MAGA if I'm reading the data right. Yep. Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the appeals of Donald, Donald Trump to many people is these voters feel that the government is harassing them. And when they look at Donald Trump being uh, pushed around or being charged with things, it's not just that they think he's on our side. They think he's going through what we're going through on a different scale, of course, different level of visibility. Uh, I don't think there is you know, full appreciation of, of how uh, among the elites, among about how people feel about that administrative state, uh, you know, people around the country think we're supposed to be a land with consent of the governed, not a place where, you know, a bunch of guys in Washington can just write up some rules without having anybody uh, sign off on it. Um, and so that's becoming a bigger issue. And it plays out more in specific cases than as a general uh, general trend. But Jamie Dimon, absolutely. He sees something is coming. He absolutely want, wants the Democrats to win. And he is, remember, Bill Clinton uh, started sounding similar alarms in 2016. You guys can't do this. Uh, I mean, look, if you're trying to to win someone over, you don't do it by saying they're stupid. Yeah, no, that's uh, that is uh, one of the easiest truisms of politics, though it seems to be absent from a, a certain part of the political block today. All right, I just want to uh, put a crystal ball out there, and I know that it's impossible to use data to have a crystal ball, but I think people have three or four questions, and I think the first is, uh, is Joe Biden going to be the nominee, or is Michelle Obama going to sweep in and save Democrats in July? Um, <laughs> well, I 
I do not believe Michelle Obama is going to be the nominee. Whether it's not, whether it's Joe Biden or not is not quite as sure. Uh, you know, we did polling years ago uh, when Laura Bush was extraordinarily popular. I remember, yeah. And, and um, we asked about her as a first lady, and she got these off-the-charts favorables. And then we asked, if she were to run for president, what would you think? And her favorables instantly fell dramatically. Uh same thing happened with Hillary Clinton, by the way. When she was Secretary of State, she was getting pretty good reviews from a lot of people who wouldn't normally like her. Uh, but as soon as she started running, her numbers dropped. And I believe the same would happen to Michelle Obama. Um, and so she she will not be the nominee. I think it's, barring some real shock, going to be uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's um, I think that's probably right. And I, I agree. I, I think there's another element to I don't think Michelle Obama's belly burns for politics. I think she's been honest about that in the past. And you got to really have some metal if you're jumping into the frying pan. And uh, I don't think that's you know, she's been clear in the past that that isn't for her. I, I think I take her at her word at that. All right. The second one is if Donald Trump is convicted, it's a question I get maybe 50 times a day. How, can it or will it change the uh, dynamic in the race and how so. Now, that's a lot of questions, but just you, you have some general sensitivities on this, you know, from the polling. What happens if he gets convicted between now and November on something? It depends on what the something is. Um, if it is about uh, leaking national security information, sharing documents, that, you know, in ways that he shouldn't have, in ways that seem dangerous, um, that could have an impact. Um, if it's some of the stuff about his business dealings or any of these other things going on, I don't think uh, <laughs> has much impact at all. It, it, nobody's surprised by it. Uh, and, you know, the other fact with all of this, uh, sometimes uh, Joe Biden and his party sound almost like they're saying, Politics was noble and pure until Donald Trump arrived. Yeah, that one. That um, voters fly. don't believe that. No, they don't for a yeah. second. <laughs> they believe Joe Biden's corrupt. They, most voters think both of them are corrupt. So it, it doesn't have much of an impact. Yeah, there's no nobility in politics. It's it's, it's a contact sport. And that's it. Um, that's right. Only among pollsters. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And some political journalists who enjoy their job every day. <laughs> I love the I love the common sense. All right, the last one, I think, is um, becoming more pronounced for the first time. Uh, uh, two years ago, when I talked about the government sometimes is being weaponized against the country, um, I got, oh, that's such a Donald Trump talking point. But for the first time, I'm seeing people on the left and in the center saying, you know, I'm really kind of worried that our government's a little bit out of control. And I've never in the 35 years, 40 years that I've been a reporter ever saw that at a visceral political level, but it does seem to be spreading that there's some belief that government's just too big, too wasteful, too stupid, uh, and maybe doing things that uh, are too partisan for our own good. Is there a, a growing rumble beneath the tectonic plates of American politics right now that maybe more than just the MAGA nation thinks that government has gotten a little bit too big for its britches? 
Um, yes and no. You can you can go you can easily overstate it. Uh, but when we ask about the investigations about Donald Trump, um, a lot of people, even people who are Democrats, will say it's politically motivated. Now they might say he deserves it, that he's guilty, but they're still. And when we ask about the investigations of Hunter Biden and President Biden, we get the same kind of plurality saying something's wrong here. Um, I think there's two extremes. Uh, people on the right talk as if this is a huge issue and it's going to, you know, and they're ready to tear down the FBI uh, or tear down some people other agencies. No, the F, a majority of voters still have a positive vision of the FBI. Uh, the flip side, Stu Rothenberg uh, wrote the other day that, you know, one reason to be for Biden is that he would uh, never use the power of government against his political enemies and would never seek to intimidate the press. And I read that and I'm thinking, where have you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I may have I may have some examples in my own personal career of, of a political leader <laughs> trying right. to intimidate a journalist, but that's personal to me. So uh, you're right. Yeah, I think. But I think and I think so. I think it's it is an issue. I like the way you put it earlier. It's rumbling. It's there. People are kind of unhappy with it, but it is not. Uh, it's not immigration. It's not top tier issue. Yeah, it's amazing how discerning the American voter are. They can really put things into the buckets where I think common sense tells you to put. I think the biggest mistake people in Washington make is they think American voters are dumb and they are not dumb. They are they're right on it. And, you know, they may not be as up to all the details, but they, they, they know what's going on in this country. Um, last question, because it is becoming an issue in Georgia. If there becomes evidence that the Biden White House uh, facilitated, assisted, encouraged or outright directed uh, the Georgia prosecution, which there's a, the, the basis for this question is real, right? There's literally a billing that says the prosecutor met with the White House twice. Um, if that were to become pronounced, does that sort of go into the sort of Nixonian sort of Watergate break in sort of thing? Or or do people compartmentalize that uh, and not really consider it as part of the bigger picture? It would have to be something very clear cut and very damning. No ambiguities about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you know, with all of these things, and, and I like the way you said the voters are discerning, you know, people don't like the way politics is, but they also recognize the way it is. And so saying to them a politician is abusing office in some way isn't like the most shocking thing they've ever heard. I think they've come to accept some of it, or, or, or that's not surprising to me. Um, uh, I, I think they, there's a good sense, a healthy dose of skepticism to politics, which probably is good for the country that our voters understand that it's not what it sometimes looks to be. And um, it's, it's fascinating. Well, uh, Scott, you always bring some of the most interesting understandings of our country and, and its electorate. It's uh, always an honor to have you on. And I just want to remind people, before New Hampshire, you called it. So you had it right again. <laughs> Good to have you on, my friend. Talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.